none of the guys who watched that guy take their place could ever have done that or ever said that. None of them had a mild reaction to say, oh, that's nice. I guess I can go back to, you know, back to the barracks now. They watched him take their place. And that, that's, that, that's the essence of substitute atonement that grips you uh, and says, wow, it's not a, it's not a mild thing. Uh, none, none of those guys could be ever be unaffected by it. And that's the way I feel about the gospel now. I can't be unaffected by it. I, Jesus, die the death I should have died. Pay my price. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. This is a podcast containing content of people whose lives are addicted to the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the everlasting, ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin-forgiving death and the hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. I am a gospel addict, and we are going to start this podcast by just talking about what that means. We've been doing this series with my friend, Jim Reske. He is in the process of writing a book. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Greg. Good to be back. And my name is Jim Reske, and I'm a gospel addict. We actually have a third voice on the show, and I'm so excited for you guys to meet my good friend, Jordan Davis. Jordan, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Tell us why you think maybe you're a gospel addict. Hey, yeah, uh, Jordan. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I think I'm a gospel addict, though, though I would not have probably always called myself a gospel addict. Maybe I'm new to that term, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I knew Jesus from a young age and made a, made a commitment to following him at a young age and still struggled with what that looked like through most of my life. Um, as I got to high school and college, I started to get discipled by a guy in the Navigators named Andrew Jarvie. And um, that had a significant impact on what it, on what my life looked like um, and what it looked like to be a gospel addict, to be, I think, I think for me to being dependent on God's word, um, being, being dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus um, and being reliant on that has shaped my life and uh, hopefully my witness through since probably since since the end of high school early college i think I could call myself a gospel addict since then that's awesome well we're going to we're going to keep fleshing that out what it what it means and i'll tell you jordan jordan and i served together in ministry i'm super excited that you're on the show with us and we kind of want you to be sort of a third voice and as jim and i talk about you know topics from his book we want you to Feel free to inter interject your comments or questions as we go along. And so, hey, Jim, some good news. Since the last time we published an episode, we now have listeners in Brazil. Welcome, Brazil. So listen, we've got people listening to the Gospel Attic Podcast in Ireland, in Germany, in Australia, and in Brazil. And of course, in America, but we just take America for granted. Yeah, we probably shouldn't. But the Gospel Attic Podcast is not just for Americans. It is for people all over the world. Well, and so the gospel. Yeah, so that's why, Jim, let me ask you this. What does being a gospel addict mean to you? Well, we talked about a little bit in, I think, in the first podcast, but 
I'm a little bit like Jordan. I was raised in a Christian home. And then I became, um, made a decision when I was 14 to really follow Christ. But I think when the gospel started really sinking into my heart and I'm still working on it, still understanding it. But when it started sinking, it was probably my early thirties. And that's when I felt like I was born again, again. And that's when I felt like I couldn't just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And a lot of that has to do with what we're going to talk about today, this notion of substitutionary atonement. Once you get the idea that he took my place, that just makes you fall in love with Jesus so much more. It makes you just more addicted to it. And so this, you know, when you find yourself thinking about it all the time and conversation coming back to it, it's like, I can't stop talking about Jesus or what he did for me. Uh, that's what makes me feel like a gospel addict. So I'm a lot worse things in this world to be addicted to, right? So I'm pretty happy to be addicted to the gospel. Yeah. You know what? Addiction is an issue in, in every country and you can get addicted to a lot of different things. I mean, yeah. from sugar to to cocaine or whatever. And when we talk about, I'll just explain, like when, when I think about being a gospel addict, what it reminds me is that the gospel is not just for the unbeliever. Yeah. Because for a long time in my early Christian life, once I became a believer, I thought, okay, now the, the gospel is for the unbeliever. Being a gospel addict for me is a reminder that the gospel, I need the gospel just as desperately as an unbeliever that we never move beyond the gospel. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, as Tim Keller would say. Right. It's the A to Z. We never get beyond it. And that's what makes me excited about your book. And I know some of the content in your book. And, you know, you talk about these five S's of the gospel. And when it gets published, it might change because, you know, editors have their way. And, right. you know, so there may not be five S's. It might be, you know, three Z's or something, you know. Right. Although I've never heard of three Z's, but um, sleeping. Yeah, I was about to say sleeping. <laughs> we don't want to put people to sleep. Jordan, are you asleep? Jordan, are you awake? I'm awake. I'm awake. Okay, good. Yeah, if you fall asleep listening to this podcast, maybe that's a good thing. You probably need some extra extra Z's. You know, mm-hmm. so take it in throughout osmosis. As you sleep, you just listen to the Gospel Attic podcast. Again, again, and again. That would that would be kind of hilarious if the Gospel Addict podcast became like the number one sleeping podcast <laughs> that people would listen to. Our voices are so soothing right. that people fall asleep when they listen to us. Greg, you need a new intro. You need to say, welcome to the Gospel Addict podcast. Yeah. Very progressively throughout the whole thing, we get softer and softer. Right. Turn the volume down. Put some ambient music in the background. <clears throat> you know, people will love it. Well, we'll have to we'll have to ask our listeners to give us some feedback. Hopefully, that's not the outcome. That's not what we're going for. We're actually hoping you pay very close attention to what we say. And so, let's turn to some serious stuff. Hey, before you do, I just thought of something. With um, when you talk about everyone's got addictions, maybe there's someone out there that's searching. You know, they stumble on a podcast because they search on Spotify or something just for the word addict. They're struggling with something. They're thinking about addiction and they're seeing if there's some self-help advice out there. And they, they stumble on the gospel after they say, what in the world could that be? And, you know, maybe the Lord uses it that way. And someone takes a different tack. They're looking for something else and they come to hear about the gospel. That would be great because we believe the gospel is the best news ever. It's amazing to me that people can reject the gospel because when you really understand it, that the God of the universe, the creator the one who made everything, who put the stars in place, who, who created human beings, that 
he loved us so much mm-hmm. that he came down and he lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die in our place, in our place. as our substitute, Amen. which is actually what we're going to talk about today. So let's start with the Jim, what, what, when we talk about substitution, what are you talking about? Yeah, sure. So this is one of the S's that we talked about. We said, um, you know, after hearing all this great gospel messages from Tim Keller and the Gospel Coalition and others, you can hear this again and again. The themes of the gospel keep coming out and, and, and they can be kind of summarized in these words that all start with the letter S. And that's what we're doing now. There was uh, substitution, we'll talk about in a minute, standing, sequence, scale, and then that cutesy word I use for the two-line illustration is splitness. So it's in the gospel is better illustrated with an illustration that is not one line, but is two lines. And we talked about that last time, so we don't need to go over all that again. But those are the, the just the notion that, you know, hey, if you, if you study the gospel long enough, you realize it really boils down to those concepts. And if you can grasp those, you can be miles ahead in your Christian life just through looking at four or five words that start with the letter S. Okay, so um, you know, last time we we dipped into substitution a little bit because there's this really, I want to say classic verse, but that's kind of a strange way to put to describe a, a Bible verse as a classic, but yeah. um, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And it's Second Corinthians 5:21, where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think I quoted that correctly, but it's the idea that Jesus became sin um, and took our sin on him and then gave us his righteousness. Right. That's part of the substitution um, concept. So Jim, expand a little bit more like your chapter on substitution. What, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah. So here, right. So it's striking when you read that verse. And I remember I heard this somewhere that the, the translators and they're translating that verse or people when they first heard it, you can read along in second Corinthians, say it's a lot of good stuff there. And you hear he hit that verse and it just jumps off the page. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's the inspired word of God, right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And it's kind of striking that it talks that way because even the use of the language is not that it doesn't say that he, he um, just made Jesus more sinful. In other words, we were becoming sinful, so Jesus became sinful on our behalf. He became sin. And that's kind of what I want to riff off of today and talk about that. And it goes along with another, the other really classic verse on this. And Jordan, maybe you have that handy, which is Galatians 3.13. Yeah, give me one second here. Yeah, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Right. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So he became a curse for us. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin. It just becomes sinful. He became sin. And this one says in Galatians, he became a curse. He wasn't cursed for us. It wasn't like God said, you people have all sinned. And so here I'm going to take my son and curses and curse you instead. He became a curse for us. So you say, well, what, what in the world does that mean? Because um, it's not just a subtle difference. And these, those are really two cornerstone verses in the New Testament anyway that talk about substitutionary atonement. If we have time, we'll look at like Isaiah in the Old Testament. Um, but those are really cornerstone verses. So it's so not me, the language you'd expect. 
Yeah. So let me, uh, let me ask you this, Jim, because I think a lot of people, when they think of substitution, they just think, okay, um, you know, Christ died, died for my sins. That's right. And, and he did that so that I could be forgiven. That's right. But they only get like half the equation. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it ends up being kind of a mild reaction. I mean, I know lots of Christians who said that. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Okay. Not with a sense of amazement or wonder. Not grasping the notion of substitutionary atonement, like, like, but just kind of humdrum. Like, yeah, he died for my sins. Right. Um, but I think what you're getting at now is the notion of the double cure. Right. Well, so, yeah, the second. So we, go ahead. Yeah. The second, the second part of yeah. substitution is not only did he die for our sins in our place, but then he gave us his righteousness. Absolutely. Like, I think that is very um, undertaught and under misunderstood. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was teasing you before we started the recording about you're the only theologian really in the group among us. So um, you're the first person to call me a theologian, by the way. <laughs> well, you have a seminary degree, right? Didn't you? My, if my family's listening to this, they're laughing right now. So, so <laughs> no, you know, I'm glad we put some, I'm glad we incorporated some humor in this podcast. <laughs> right. Well, they're, they're all sleeping through it anyway, because it's the ZZZ broadcast now. Right? So it doesn't really matter. Brought to you by uh, Zequel. Yes, exactly. That'll be our new sponsor. Um, nothing puts you to sleep faster. Uh yeah, but no, Greg, because uh, you're with your theological background, I think you really nailed it. It's the um, it's that he it, it's the it's the double cure, right? Um, I think it's that hymn, "Rock of Ages," right? Be thou for sin the double cure, has that line in it. Um, and so, not only are all my sins put on him, but all his righteousness is given to me. So it's uh, it's the great exchange, and. I got to think that it's not just the, the absence of my sin, that God looks at me right now with all the delight with which he looks at his own son. Here's a complete record of righteousness. Jesus' record of righteousness is given to me as a free gift, right? That's the offer that we, that we sit there, like you started to say a second ago, can't believe people don't take the offer because um, nothing else offers that, right? Um, Islam, Buddhism, nothing, off, nothing comes out and says, let me get this straight. Buddha lived the life he should have lived and died the death he should have you don't, you should have died. And if you just accept Buddhism or Muhammad, that Muhammad paid for all your sins, no one else offers that. No one else offers that and say, you'll get all of Muhammad's righteousness attributed to you as if you had done it yourself. It's just okay. striking. And I, I can't, I can't believe people have kind of a humdrum reaction to it. So it is, it is powerful. People, yeah. Go ahead, Jordan. Go ahead, Jordan. I think, I think some people get it and some people just can't believe that it's, it's too good to be true. Maybe they, yeah. they, they look, they look, they look at a lot of things like this is too good to be true because everything else is that way, because every other background spiritually that they've heard or they've understood is like, well, that, this is just too different, but that's, that's kind of the point, right? It's too different because it's, it is, it's truth, right? It stands yeah. apart from the rest. And well, it's kind of evidence of its truth, but you're absolutely right, Jordan. It's like when we were contrasting the single line and the double line, every, everything else in the world makes you climb the single line. Every other religion makes you achieve and perform for righteousness and every other non-religion, every irreligious way of living, every world philosophy, you could be a secular, non-Christian atheist. You still have something that justifies your life. You have some line to crawl, right? Nothing else offers you this that says you, you haven't done it. You haven't achieved it. I've done it for you. 
And that's why we were saying before, Greg, like the engine of the Christian life is gratitude. Because if you get this, you're like, just overwhelmed with gratitude. That's what makes you a gospel addict. Because you're like, I just, I can't believe it. Someone did this for me. So that's the notion. Yeah. So let's, let's address, um, you know, part of the, the audience that we're trying to reach out to, and we hope listen to this podcast, are people that don't quite get it yet. Sure. You know, as Tim Keller talks about, like you put the coins in a in a uh, soda machine. Yeah. And sometimes you don't get the soda until the coins drop. That's right. And for some people, maybe they've received Jesus. They believe he died for their sins, but the, 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 the coins haven't really dropped. And it's because they stay on that single line. And so essentially there's a lot of Christians that are kind of burned out. They're frustrated. They're right. defeated. Yeah. They're they're ready to throw in the towel. They 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 think the Christian life's too hard. So how does how does this idea of substitution help? Well, yeah, substitution really helps with that. Once you get an idea of what it is he actually did for you, because you can say to someone, "Look, he took your place." Uh huh. Sure, that's nice. I get it. And it's not really transformative, right? Well, what does it mean when he say he took the punishment that I was supposed to have? What was the punishment you were supposed to have? And so for that. We'll get there by looking at it at an Old Testament passage. And Jordan, I hope you have this queued up and can read it for us. It's a passage in Numbers about the snake on the pole. It's a very strange passage, but it relates very much to, um, especially Galatians 3.13 that we read a moment ago. Go ahead, Jordan, if you got that. Numbers yeah. 21, 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Right. If the person looked at it, they would live. So Keller has a great sermon on this, and he tells the one he, I got this from tying this numbers passage with Galatians, right? Because Galatians, as we said before, says, Jesus became a curse for us, Right. Um, and that, that symbol from that passage in numbers of a snake on a pole is what you see in the medical profession. That that's the symbol of healing, the snake on the pole, because the basic idea is just look at the snake and live. And Keller makes the point very eloquently that you didn't have to do anything. You just had to look at the pole and you would live. And this is like what you were saying before, Greg, not everyone looks at the pole. Not everyone looked at the pole. You know, it says in the passage, it doesn't say, oh, and they all looked at the pole and they were fine. It said, if someone looked at it, they would live. But Believe it or not, there are people there, you know, dying who said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to look at the pole. I refuse. I'm just not. All you have to do is look. You don't, you don't have to actually lift a finger. And, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful symbol of the gospel, right? Because you say Jesus is the one lifted on the pole for you. All you need to do is accept the offer. You don't have to do anything to have it. It's a free gift. Just look. I ain't going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, but those who did looked at it. So that's one mystery. Another mystery is why a serpent on a pole? So if this is supposed to represent Jesus. Why is it like a dove on a pole or something? I don't know. What's a cute animal? A koala bear? I mean, yeah. Well, for our, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, nice. 
that might actually help our our uh, audience in Australia. <laughs> we use Australian animals. A kangaroo so, on a pole. Platypus. A platypus. <laughs> right. Just look at the platypus and thou shalt live. I don't know if platypuses are like cute or cuddly. <laughs> They're just. I don't know. Um, it would help. I mean, this is a serpent. So, I mean, look at the people then would have said the serpent, isn't that like from the Garden of Eden? I mean, it's a, it's a sim- symbolic representation of Satan. Like, like, why would the, the thing you wrap on the pole that you're supposed to look at to get healing be a serpent of all things, right? Yeah, so and, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's, so that, that's the whole point that um, in Galatians 3, Jesus isn't cursed for us. God doesn't look at Jesus, I guess we're bad Jesus, you know, that I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you pay for all their sins and you're cursed. Jesus becomes sin for us. He becomes sin. Not he becomes sinful, but in 2 Corinthians 5 20, he became sin. So I, here's an image for you. I love to sit around a log fire at night. So I like cool fall night. One of my favorite things in this world is to make a little log fire outside by the fire pit. And you sit there and you make a fire together and it's, you know, hang out with some friends. It's so great. And so usually you try to throw some split wood in the fire because it burns really well. But once in a while, I don't have a split log and I throw a whole log in. That doesn't burn very well, but it burns from the outside in. And so for a while there, there's still like a core of wood in the fire, right? And uh, the rest of it's not turning to ash, but there's still a core of wood there. But eventually it all burns and it's all ash through and through. And what God is saying, let me get this straight. Your destiny and my destiny was to be sin. So in other words, if Jesus paid my price, he took my penalty. He didn't take any more. He didn't take any less. He took my penalty and he became sin. Then what does that mean that, what was our destiny? Our destiny was to be sin. We were, we, our destiny was to be like that log in the fire where there's no wood left. It's just ash. It's just, it's just completely gone. Our, our, and that's why we draw this illustration and we talked about it last time, how there's two lines, not one. And one line goes upward. It's your growing awareness of God's holiness. And one line goes downward. It's your growing awareness of your sin. There's some graphical magic to that because the downward line that shows your sin is pointing downward to say, well, where does that line go? It's got air at the end of it. It just goes downward. What does that mean? It means that sin has a trajectory in your life and sin is not like discrete just discrete acts. Oh, I use a bad word. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I told a lie and I shouldn't have done that. Sin is like cancer that's growing to mix metaphors here. Cancer that's growing inside of you. Sin is like a living tissue that's taking you over. Sin is like, sin is the downward line of that illustration is meant to say something. Sin has a real trajectory. And what it means, I think, spiritually is that what was your penalty? If Jesus took your penalty and he became sin, what does that mean for you and me? It means my penalty was not just fires of hell, it was to be sin, where I would, the, the log, whatever I had left of me was gone, and it just turned to ash, where there's just, just, uh, uh, where I was going to be completely sin. And so when Jesus paid my price, he substituted for me. He did that instead of me. He's the substitute. He became sin for us. And that's why when you read that verse, you say, oh, my gosh, that was waiting for me, and he did it instead of me. And that's when substitution becomes overwhelming and you become more grateful for your salvation and 
you want to follow him even more. So that's that's the my big thought that comes out in the in the book on substitution. But that's why I think it's really transformative, and not just some you know words in a textbook that I'm supposed to memorize and learn. But it's it's everything. Jordan, do you have any uh, response comments? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this just along this line. I think the thing that people people miss, right? I think generally when we talk about the good news of Jesus is they miss the bad news, right? They, they, they can, you can tell them Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but if they don't understand, like, like Jim was saying, if they don't understand what would come of them if he didn't, um, or what would come of them if they didn't trust him, didn't believe him, uh, they, they, they miss the good news, right? They don't understand the good news because they don't have a perspective of, of what's so bad about their life or uh, their destination. So I think, I think that has to come through in, in our conversations and also in trying to share and, and get them to understand uh, is what is the bad news so that we understand why substitution, why Jesus's substitution matters uh, for our lives and, and hope. That's, thanks, Jordan, that's, a, that's outstanding. Um, let me uh, just read a little passage um, from C.S. Lewis that kind of amplifies this point. Uh, it's from Mere Christianity. It's kind of a famous passage. So probably a lot of people, the uh, listeners might've heard it before, but uh, here it is. It's, it goes like this. It says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer. There will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. You know, I remember yeah. reading that Mir Christian, I, I think I was 14 years old. That's probably that the echo of that passage that maybe because that really struck me at the time. To think about that and, and understanding that it's a way to understand what our destiny was is to to be like the grumble going on forever and ever like a machine. And by the way, you don't have to be a Christian to see this. You see lots of bitter old people that are like, maybe they're not believers, maybe they are whatever the case in life. But you know the sins that you have, you know. And, and Jordan, I think you're like just out of college, and you're you know it's so nice, right? Um, Wait till you get to my age and, you know, the things that were kind of mildly tolerable, your friends would laugh about it. You know, you, you see, maybe you're a little selfish and you didn't pick up the check. Oh, that's kind of funny. Like the, the selfishness, whatever it is. By the way, Jordan, I think you're always, you're not like that. I just for our listeners, for clarity, I'm sure you always pick up the check and you're a great guy. Um, but I'm saying the little habits you have that might be funny when you're in your 20s, they get deeper and deeper in your life. And everyone knows when you get in your 50s and 60s and whatever, the, the little things be, become worse and worse over time. It's like uh, if you're shooting an arrow and you're a quarter inch off with the start, by the time it gets to the target, it's way, way off. And that's a good. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy. Uh, so part of what we're saying here is you can't really grasp the good news of Jesus until you understand the bad news of just the depth of our sinfulness. What a great way to and I think that I think that a lot of people, part of our problem, and I can relate to this, is that we we think we're good guys. That's right. Like I I feel that way a lot of times because like I I've never done drugs. I've never 
I've never actually been drunk in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I think I'm a good guy, you yeah. know, but, but the, the problem is, but I, but I, but, but I'm aware of the depth of my sinfulness in my heart. I know it's by the grace of God, you know, that um, I'm not addicted to something, you know, something that would be harmful and such. Jim, I want to, in your book, you mentioned this story. Uh, you say substitution is what makes World War II, the, the World War II story about the missing shovel so moving. Oh. What is that story the, of the story, the missing shovel? Yeah. So again, this is, Keller uses this as an illustration in one of his sermons. Uh, so it struck me that I didn't really research it. It actually was a, a book written by a guy who came through uh, World War II in the specific Pacific theater. It's a true story. Uh, and then it was made into a movie, actually, with Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, so, um, and uh, the um, so a lot of people might have heard of the story, but it's really a dramatic, dramatic story. Uh, there were some British sh- soldiers who were prisoners of war, again in the Pacific Theater, and they talk about uh, he talked the guy who survived it and wrote about it talked about the early life in the camp, how it just became complete survival of the fittest, with just brutality and every man for himself. Um, and you know, nothing, just horrible conditions as you can imagine in being a prisoner of war. And he talks about one scene where, um, they had a work detail There were 12 guys going out and they came, they came back and, you know, they had their shovels for their work detail and they came back and the guard, young Japanese guard was guarding them, uh, you know, counted up their shovels routine way. They're only 11 shovels. And that's a real problem in a prisoner of war camp because a shovel could be used to dig an escape tunnel, could be used as a weapon. And so this Japanese soldier to hear the story being told starts just going berserk. And he doesn't really know English, right? So he just, but he does start saying, I'll die, I'll die, I'll die. He's just pointing his gun at people. And so he just he, so he goes to the first guy in the line, they're all standing there on stone face, no one's saying anything. Goes to the first guy, puts the gun right up to his temple. And right at that moment, one of the other guys in line, one of the British soldiers steps forward and says, I did it. And without missing a beat, the Japanese soldier brings the butt of his rifle down on the guy's head, beats him to death in front of everybody else. Then they counted the shovels and they were 12. It was just a complete mistake. And the guys who had just seen their buddy take their place and be beaten to death right in front of them. And they had to step over his bloody body on the way back and to count the shovels. One of them remembered that verse, no greater love has a man than he he laid down his life for his friends. No greater love has a man for others than he laid down his life for his friends, which is a verse about Jesus. And and from that moment on, a whole transformation comes over the camp. And they start, other other people remember bits and pieces of verses. And and they just, it it changed everything. And to the point later, to fast forward, later they they became just a living embodiment of the love of the gospel, the transformative power of the gospel. And it was all because of that substitutionary death of their buddy for them. Uh, And the notion that you would say, you'd have a mild reaction to substitutionary atonement. None of the guys who watched that guy take their place could ever have done that or ever said that. None of them had a mild reaction to say, oh, that's nice. I guess I can go back to, you know, back to the barracks now. They watched him take their place. And that, that's that that's the essence of substitutionary atonement that grips you uh, and says, wow, it's not a it's not a mild thing. Uh, 
none, none of those guys could be ever be unaffected by it. And that's the way I feel about the gospel now. I can't be unaffected by it. I, Jesus died the death I should have died, paid my price. Yeah. So when you see an innocent person like that, right. Uh, doing that. And, and that was, you know, um, that was minuscule compared to what Christ has done for us. Yeah. And so, Hey, is there anything else where we're about ready to wrap this session up on substitution? The next time we're going to talk about which S. Oh, you know, we might, I'm not sure. Which oh, one that's one. right. We might talk about some objections. Some yeah, common... we might stop. Cause yeah, I'm worried that people like say they hear the other one. If they listen to it and they said, yeah, that doesn't quite click yet. I don't quite, I'm not buying it. And I've heard that from people. Most people like when you share the two lines with, they go, wow, that's amazing. And it's, it's the penny drops and that's a way to understand the gospel. That's why it's important to get this message out. But for some people they say, yeah, no, I don't think so. So, yeah, so we can, we yeah, actually we'll take a, we'll take another, we'll take an episode and we'll just talk about some common objections or things that reason, reasons why people struggle with, um, with, with this idea. Jordan, is there anything you want to share? Like, um, about the power of, you know, the substitution of Christ in, in your life? I think, I think one, one uh, verse that comes up, um, it kind of puts the, not, not only in just, in just the act of believing, but also in the transformation that it, it's meant to have. Uh, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Um, it talks about, not, I'll, I'll read 19 and 20. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I think just that realization, it's like, you know, you can't see like, like this, this shovel store, you can't see somebody sacrifice themselves for you like that. And then turn around and just keep doing the same thing that you've done. Like there, there, there is a, there's a point where you go, okay, now what do I do with that? What does my life look like as a result of that? Um, and, and I think that that stands out to me as we're, as we're having this discussion. That's powerful. Jim, one, one last thing. Um, a lot of people, when we talk about this, the substitution, they talk about this concept called the great exchange. Mm. Um, you know, how does that factor in? And I think we've already discussed it, but mm -hmm. kind of bring it all together and talk about, you know, um, your final thoughts on, on, on substitution, that it's more than just forgiveness. Because yeah. a lot of times we just think, oh, Jesus died on the cross. He substituted himself for me. So I'm forgiven, mm -hmm. but, but it's, that's just half of it. Yeah. And so we talk about the great exchange and then maybe if you have any thoughts on why that is so important, just in living the Christian life, that yeah. it frees us from guilt. It frees us from pride. Yes, it frees us from guilt and pride because um, all my guilt, all my sins taken away, nothing to be guilty for, and uh, and my righteousness doesn't come from me at all, so I have nothing to be proud of. Look, the great exchange is we use words like the great exchange and double cure. We do have to be careful because we can use them with some familiarity, and people say, I've never heard that before. What are you talking about? Um, and that that is a notion to be really clear that all my – it's all, it's like a legal transference. When you become saved and you accept Jesus Christ in your heart, you, you become a Christian, all your sins at that moment are transferred to him and all of his righteousness is transferred to you. We'll probably talk more about this when we get to the concept, the other, the other S, standing. 
but it's that legal transference almost that God says, that is what is on offer. That's what I can give you right now. If you, if you want to become a Christian and follow me, you're all the, all the, all your record completely wiped clean, but all of his record given to you. That's, that's the great exchange. It reminds me, I, I've heard of it described this way as uh, if you were to look at a ledger uh, that our debt is in the, we're in the red uh, as regards God due to our sinful nature. And that is wiped, not only brought up to a, you know, an even balance, but it's also credited in our favor. Uh, so we go from red to what black is even to, to, to green. Um, and yeah, it makes me think of the unforgiving servant who's forgiven 10,000 talents by the master. Right. And, and and like, that's the debt that we're forgiven and, and almost in the same way, the credit that we're also given on the other side. That's a great one. And we'll talk about that. We talk about scale because that's that's a great story for the whole concept of how our sense of scale is way, way off, right? We don't get the depth of it, but you really bring a great point. It's like, if you, if that story was, if, you know, taken to its logical conclusion in the gospel, you say not just 10,000 talents wiped away from your debt, your the red, but given to you as well, right? Um, yeah, that's- well, listen. Listen, uh, thank you, Jim, and thank you, Jordan, for your time. Let's, uh, let's stop there. And for those of you who are still kind of struggling or maybe confused with what we're talking about, um, the next podcast, we're going to discuss some common objections. Some, you know, you're, you're not the only one who's confused. Um, this is, this is a, can be a challenging concept. Stay tuned, and, and uh, I hope you check out our next episode coming soon. With that, I will say I'm Greg and I'm a gospel addict. And I'm Jim and I'm a gospel addict. And I'm Jordan and I'm a gospel addict. All right. We'll catch you next time.